Gracious Father, uh, we ask that your spirit at this moment would focus our minds and our hearts and our souls towards you. Uh, Lord, there are many things that we carry, uh, many things that uh, we needlessly bear, uh, that your word can speak truth to. Uh, as we've sung this morning already, uh, as we seek to know you, Father, and know the Son, and know the Holy Spirit uh, more and more each day. Uh, Lord, we ask at these moments that all of the cares of this world would fade away, uh, that our focus would truly be upon you, because in order to know you more, we need to have our focus upon you. Uh, we need to yield and surrender everything that can be a stumbling block uh, so that your Spirit can work in a mighty and powerful way and show us things that maybe we already know uh, that we have forgotten uh, or show us things that we have yet to know because uh, you're ready uh, to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive uh, a truth that will transform our lives even today. Uh, and so, Father, we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. And as we continue on in this section, a prayer to more deeply know. Uh, you know that uh, we uh, have been uh, walking through uh, this section, and we've already taken a look at two aspects uh, of uh, what we are to uh, pray to know more deeply, and that is uh, found uh, there in verse 18, where it says, A hope to which he has called us. Uh, which is our hope in Jesus Christ, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then last week we camped out in verse 19 where it says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Uh, and if you remember, we took a look at every Greek word in that uh, verse because each one was a different one in relation to this immeasurable greatness of God's power, uh, power that uh, is towards us who believe, that is according to the working of God's great might. And so today we're going to be stepping into the beginning of verse 20 uh, as we uh, see one of the first evidences uh, of this immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. The thing I like to begin with is as we consider this section and this first evidence this morning, as we considerable or consider the immeasurable greatness of his power and what we're to uh, pray more deeply to know, uh, is what Paul's prayer is not. Um, because as we uh, consider... Um, is the fact that uh, Paul's prayer, uh, and as we think about praying, oftentimes we pray for certain aspects of our Christian life. Uh, and as we've seen so far, his prayer is to know the hope and to know the riches of his glorious inheritance that we have uh, as a result of being sons and daughters of Christ. Uh, and as we step into this third aspect, I want you to notice what Paul is not uh, praying for. Um, Paul's prayer is not for believers to have more power to avoid temptation or more power to do God's will or more power to love God or our neighbor. Uh, 
Uh, it's not a prayer for us to forgive those who hurt us or to have more power to evangelize or more power to endure persecution. All those aspects are good, but this is not the focus of what Paul has here. It's a prayer to recognize the immeasurable greatness of God's power to raise us to glory just as he raised Jesus Christ, his son. Uh, and that is you know, put in front of every other aspect that we could pray for in the Christian life. You know, because who wouldn't want to have more power to evangelize? Um, but the thing is, is we realize each one of these aspects, they're all rooted in the immeasurable greatness of God's power that raised Jesus from the dead. A power which the Holy Spirit of God has himself. Jesus Christ has himself. God the Father has himself because it is a godly attribute. Uh, it is an immeasurable greatness of God's power being exhibited. Uh, and so when we think about all these things, a lot of times we end up praying for things uh, that we already possess because the Spirit of God indwells every true believer in Jesus Christ. We have all the power we need to evangelize. We have all the power we need to endure persecution. We have all the power needed to avoid temptation, etc., etc. Because the Spirit of God indwells every believer. And because that immeasurable greatness of God's power raised Jesus from the dead, it will also raise us to, first and foremost, live in the world in which we find ourselves, but then also raise us to final glory, where we have that glorified body fit for eternity. So the number one evidence as we consider this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe is in relation to Jesus being raised from the dead. It's there in verse 20, the first part. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. See, Jesus being raised from the dead is all the hope we need. Raising Jesus from the dead and God's exhibited power is all that we need in order to see that we have riches untold, riches that we will really throw at the feet of God the Father in thankfulness, riches that we have because we um, have been brought into God's family. And Paul repeated this theme where, uh, as you look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that attaining is not in Paul's power to attain it because Paul knows and we should know today that we cannot attain that power ourselves, but it is a power that comes from God. The way he is resurrected is because God the Father is the one who resurrects, just like he resurrected his son. See, only the creator of all life can give life after death. Go all the way back to the beginning. You know, Adam was formed from the dust of the ground, and what did God do? He breathed into him the breath of life. And see, the Father has the ability to bring that which is spiritually dead to spiritual life. To take that which was 
dark and selfish and make it light and beautiful and humble in the presence of Almighty God. The resurrection of Jesus witnesses to the immense power of God himself. A power that indwells every believer because the spirit of God indwells every believer. So that's why there's nothing impossible with God. That as we sign today, there is no fear that should hold upon us because the very power of God removes that fear. Fear of death, fear of inadequacy, fear of not being able to have the boldness or the forthrightness to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who don't believe. See, the thing is, that power is within every believer. And the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, and I realize that we're just barely a month out from Easter, this is something that, you know, chances are, and I don't know when Paul pinned it to the exact day, but chances are it wasn't uh, uh, on Easter. And we need to make sure that as we stand today, or as you sit today, you realize the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. Because if you don't see that power, if you don't know, not just up here, but down here, that that power exists and that power is real and that power can accomplish everything that is necessary for this life and the life yet to come, then you will live a life defeated. You will live a life where everything that comes into your world will be the end of your world. Because you've tried it, what does the song say this morning, a thousand different ways, you know, to find that hope. Uh, and the thing is, is we cannot look in ourselves for that hope. We need to go to the source. We need to go to the spirit of God himself. And we need to see that the resurrection of Jesus witnesses to the immense power of God himself. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. And take a look at this verse through that lens of God's power. It says there, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Do you hear how powerful those words are? Only the Son of God could say that, that I have the power to lay down my life and to take it up again. Do you have that power? See, the Son of God does. That's part of the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. It is a witness to the fact that God's immense power through Jesus, who is God's Son, who is God, See, no one took Jesus' life from him. Don't make the mistake of thinking that sinful men are what took Christ's life. They were the tools and the instruments by which he was crucified, but Jesus laid down his life to take it up again. See, that's the power of God. See, not even man himself in crucifying the physical body of the Son of God can take the physical life away from the Son of God except that he lay it down to take it up again. Why is the resurrection of Jesus 
so important? I'm glad you want to know. Because without Christ's resurrection, and hear me out, without Christ's resurrection, there are, uh, we have no Savior. Because Jesus would be dead in the grave, just like every other person before him is dead in the grave. Powerless. Unable to do anything but rot in a grave. See, without Christ's resurrection, we have no Savior. We have no message of salvation. We have no hope of eternal life. We have no forgiveness of sins. We have no comfort. We have no reconciliation. We have nothing. Do I know how I know that? Because the word of God tells us that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Started in verse 14. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So if Jesus hasn't been raised, get up and go home. Go do something else. I don't want you to do that. I'm not giving you permission to leave. Unless it's an absolute emergency. Verse 15 says, we are even found to be misinterpreting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. So what they're saying is, is that we are giving testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And if he hasn't, then we're misrepresenting God. We're lying in relation to what happened to Jesus, the son of God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. See, again, going back to the original premise, only the creator of life can resurrect after death. And see, if there is no almighty creator, if there is not the one true God who has an immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might then all we are is a hopeless people that have a shelf life who will die and rot in a grave, and that's the end. Verse 16 says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. See, because if Jesus did not raise from the dead, if the the almighty power of God that is a measurable greatness, something that you can't quantify, that is unfathomable, something that you cannot, you know, even begin to understand how God could do everything that he does, even in the last second, the last five seconds, the last five months, years, centuries, millennia, eternity. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So in other words, fallen asleep is, you know, another way of saying they've died. So anyone who's believed in Jesus Christ before today and they've died, then they are those who have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ... We are all people most to be pitied. In other words, you've wasted your time believing in something that's not true. Now, I want you to hold that thought because we're going to come back to this passage in just a moment. But see, the thing is, is why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Because without it, 
we are those who have no savior, no message of salvation, no hope of eternal life, no forgiveness of sins, no comfort, no reconciliation, no future. Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ important? Well, it validates Jesus' claim to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the resurrection, and the life. I appeal to John chapter 11, verse 25 to 27. And this is where Jesus had just arrived and Lazarus had been dead for four days. He was in the tomb. He had been sealed up. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So what Jesus is claiming is, is that, yes, you can die physically, and yes, you can die spiritually, but through faith and trust in him who is the resurrection and the life, you shall live. And anyone who believe, or lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So I pose that question to you this morning. Jesus Christ asked Martha, do you believe this? Because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, then you are spiritually dead. You have no hope. You have no salvation. All you're going to do is die as one without hope. But notice what Martha's response is in verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, that's someone who has had their spiritual eyes open. That is someone who was spiritually dead, who's been made spiritually alive. Because Martha gave testimony to the fact that she, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Christ, the one who came as the Son of God, who took on flesh, who dwelt among us, who would eventually die on a cross, who would be buried by, by the immeasurable greatness of God's power that is from eternity would raise Jesus Christ, God's Son, from the dead. So how should this inform our lives today? Because our prayer is to more deeply know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Something that if you do not believe, then you are dead spiritually and are going to be dead physically as one without hope. We'll not change the truth about who Jesus Christ is because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, sometimes we can doubt what God, uh, whether or not God is strong enough to carry us through this life and raise us up to glory on that last day. And see, this is part of why Paul is making this appeal, this, this you know, call for us to more deeply know, a prayer to more deeply know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Because if we doubt God is strong enough, or we make the fatal mistake of thinking, I can do it on my own, which really is admitting that, you know what, I don't need God because I have the power and the ability to overcome this myself. But see, the problem is, is that what we do is we look internally and don't look to the Spirit of God who indwells. 
we try and do it on our own. The thing is, is that, you know, think about the things that you do. How many times do you say, well, I don't need anybody's help. I got this. And there's some aspects in which, you know, the, the way you live your life, you can do things. But you miss out on the blessing of having someone else help you. Someone else be there with you to share in that experience. Well, see, the same is true in relation to our spiritual life. If you doubt God is strong enough or you try and do it on your own, you're missing out on the blessing of watching God do something miraculous, to do even the impossible, because nothing is impossible for God, because he has an immeasurable greatness of power, especially towards those who believe. So first, remember that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, this is the continuation of the passage I told you to put a bookmark there in 1 Corinthians because I kind of left you hanging really with no hope as those who are to be the most pitied. But, you know, you, you, you can't stop. you got to finish reading because that's not the complete thought. So if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 20, well, let's actually back up to verse 19. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied if Christ has not been raised. But verse 20 says, but in fact, let's stop there for a moment, but in fact, it is a truth. It is not a lie. It is not a fabrication. It's not a fable. It's the truth. It is a fact. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. A month early from Easter, and it's all right. <laughs> because this is the transforming power of God, because God's power raised Jesus from the dead, and that same power through the Holy Spirit within you can help you see that Jesus is just the first fruits and that there is wonderful things yet to come for those who believe. Because if Christ has been raised, then there is hope that we too will be raised. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, of course, that's Adam going all the way back to the garden and his choice to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good of evil that he was not supposed to eat. So for as by, one man, or by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Well, who's that man? Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Son of God, who is the firstfruits, who has been raised from the dead by the immeasurable greatness of God's power that is working in his great might. Almighty power. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Because our Savior is alive. Because in order for him to save, he has to be alive. Because if he's dead, then he cannot save me. He can't save you. But Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is alive. It's a fact. Second, remember that God guarantees our resurrection at the coming of Jesus for his church. Same passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just skip down to verse 50. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit, or I'm sorry, neither, or nor, let me just start over. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. So what's the mystery? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, their physical bodies will join with their eternal souls, which for those that are believers in Jesus Christ, to be absent from the Lord, or from the, uh, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So at that moment when uh, this physical body dies, our eternal soul goes to the immediate presence of God if we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the power of God, taking that eternal soul. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. See, this is the transition. This is the change because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This physical body you see before you cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless this mortal body puts on immortality. Do I have that power? Can I make myself immortal physically? I really don't want to because there's too many aches and pains. Maybe I'd have the power to make it so there's no aches and pains, but I don't have that power. It is a power that God alone has to take that which is mortal and make it immortal, to take that which is perishable and make it imperishable. Because when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where uh, is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A victory that is had because Jesus Christ is alive. The Son of God is not dead in a tomb. He's been raised to life everlasting. God's not dead. And God didn't die when Jesus' physical body lay in that tomb. John 14, 3 says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's a promise for every believer here. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if he does, he will come again and bring you to himself, giving you that immortal, imperishable, glorified body fit for eternity all by the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Third, as a result of our coming resurrection, we know that everything we do here on earth will not be in vain. You know, there's things that we do that seem like we do them in vain. Maybe getting up and going to work tomorrow morning will seem that way for some of you or maybe all of you. But the thing is, as we think about things spiritually, when we think about the coming resurrection, we think about the power of God. We need to understand that everything that we do that invest in the kingdom of God is not in vain. Even if you can't see the outcome, even if you can't see the fruit from it, 
Everything done to the glory of God will bring God glory. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Continue on that same passage. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, notice what it's in, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So if you do everything that you do to the glory of God, by the power of the Spirit within you, you do it in the Lord, as the text says, then you're not doing it in vain. So that means being the uh, good Samaritan to someone in need. That means not joking around with the rest of the people at work when they're saying crude things about other people or demeaning them or tearing them down. It means standing up for the truth when no one else wants to believe it. Everything that we do in relation to honoring God and his word as we prepare for those glorified bodies fit for eternity when this mortal coil puts on immortality is not in vain when I do it in the Lord and for his glory. And finally, as a result of our coming resurrection, we can confidently endure persecution and danger for Christ's sake. Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. This is where we're going to finish our time out this morning. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. <clears throat> it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are going to speak or what you're going to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his children and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved see the thing is is we are going to be persecuted because of our faith and trust in jesus christ and the thing is is that you know we're not going to be dragged into a synagogue but in 2022, there are many ways in which Christians, those who believe in one almighty God, whose power is immeasurable, who's doing everything according to his great might. And so it will take forms of a battle over unborn children and standing on the truth of the word of God that we should not murder that God weaves every child in their mother's womb, that they're precious in his sight, that they have eternal souls. That's a persecution for his sake. The battle over gender, where gender and sex are separated so that gender is no longer who you are, male or female, biologically. That's what sex is. Gender is what you think you are. But God created them male and female. So that is a point at which you will be persecuted for his sake. The battle over marriage. 
marriage just is an old institution. Why should I get married? Because I can you know, cohabitate with whoever I want to cohabitate with and enjoy every aspect of it without the legal binding. And when I'm tired of it, I can just leave it. See, that's a battle over God's uh, design for marriage. So that is a, a, a sort of persecution for his sake when we stand for biblical marriage between man and a woman. Not between two men, not between two women. Again, a battle uh, because we're being persecuted for his sake. A battle over salvation itself. Well, Jesus is not the only way. There are multiple ways to God. You just need to be good. You need to, to do these few things and God will accept you the way you are. No, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through me. See, there's a battle over salvation because there's a battle over who God is because man is saying this is who God is to me. And how about the battle over truth itself? Truth that comes from God because truth is absolute. Man cannot change the truth. Man can formulate the truth into a lie, which Satan is very good at, and calls our attention to be taken elsewhere but that's another battle and, and a persecution for Christ's sake. Is the truth that we should not kill unborn children, that there is only two genders, male and female, that marriage is between one man and one woman until death do us part, that salvation is in Christ alone. Those are all absolute truths because they come from the word of God. No matter how much I may try to reframe them or try to repackage them or to change them to suit the culture, that does not change the truth. And I don't have the authority to do so, nor should I, because it's the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, to whom we must give an account. So I will take God at his word. But as we live waiting for the coming resurrection where you know Christ returns, and some of us will not fall asleep because we'll be ushered into uh, eternity with him or the, those who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ, their physical bodies will join their eternal souls and will be in preparation for that wonderful, glorious eternity where sin will no longer be an issue because the power of God will take that fully away. Because God has power over death itself. Because the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. See, the law shows me to be a sinner. And the sting of death is sin itself. The wages of sin is death. But the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's the beautiful thing. That's the power of God being exhibited, and it's the power that you need to see each and every day, not just on Easter Sunday, evidenced in Christ being raised from the dead. Because it is a power that will help you stand up when everyone else around you is falling down. And sometimes that will be believers. Because instead of operating in the power of the Spirit, you're operating in your own power. You're trying a thousand times to find hope or to find the answer when what you needed to do is to know Jesus more. And see, that's Paul's prayer. A prayer to more deeply know 
what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, your word this morning. Uh, we thank you for your almighty power that has always existed, that has never lacked, that has always accomplished your good pleasure, your perfect will. From before time, at the beginning of time, the middle of time, and as we look towards the end of time and look to eternity once again as those who are bound by time, Lord, we know that your power will not fade, that your power will not wane, that no human being, no created individual, no created thing in all of the created universe can change that. May that give us the ability as believers today in 2022 to stand strong, knowing full well that we will be persecuted for our faith, we'll be persecuted for standing on the truth of the word of God. But our hope is based in the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe, not in what man can do. And so, Father, may we as believers today live triumphantly, live as overcomers, live as those who do not, are not bound by fear, but are uh, enjoying the freedom of the truth that you raised your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And two will raise us from the dead, will bring us home to the place that you have prepared for us. And so, Father, Lord, we thank you for these truths. May they transform our thinking, our speech, and our actions in this coming week. Even as we look forward to Easter, may we see the resurrected Christ each and every day until he returns and shows his almighty power to the, to the world as he brings them to judgment, brings them to an account, and shows that his precious blood that was shed on Calvary paid my price. The price of every believer in this uh, church building this morning, uh, those in, that are believers around the world as well as every believer before today, those that have gone uh, home to be with you, that it is sufficient. It fulfills your wrath against our sin. And so, Father, we thank you for those truths. We thank you for your power, which is almighty. May it work, an almighty work in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.